Hello, beautiful people. Welcome back to your God's Love podcast. I am Haley Helveston. This podcast is on holistic health, sacred sexuality, and spirituality. I have Jessica Ferrone here. She is the loving guide off Instagram, and she is an intuitive spiritual guide. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super happy to be here, ready to jump in with you. <laughs> yes, yes, y'all. We've got a juicy, fun conversation for y'all. Um, so tell everybody more about what you're doing. So I am a spiritual guide. I help people through like just regular relationship struggles that would otherwise kind of take you down um, into sort of a victim-y space. I help people manifest their best versions, let go of limiting beliefs, um, navigate open relationships, sex positivity, uh, lifestyle changes, um, finding ways to really embody their fullest expression and essence in a world that doesn't really hold the safe space for that and helping them to kind of examine relationships and their environment so they can create the reality that they want for their life. That's about it. <laughs> mm, it. Go on and on, but yeah, I help people figure out their shit and, and, and live a fully expressed life as much as possible. Yeah, because I love how you said they wake up from the program, like they, they embody their authentic self, letting go yeah. of all that crap, because I think that we're in this age now where people are figuring out, not figuring out, they're really thinking, who am I? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I like to meet them at that, you know, that point where they're, you know, they call it devastation, or I'm so lost and so isolated. And I, I'm like, congratulations, that's like the best place to be when you're literally questioning your existence and your reality and your beliefs and everything that you've been taught. And then you're wondering, whoa, I've been existing in this sort of cognitive dissonance and of, of what I've been told now. And then what is kind of coming into my world through sometimes signs and synchronicities or significant uh, catalysts of trauma, a loss or something. And they wake up and they're like, this is not my life. This is not my beautiful life. This is not my beautiful home. What do I do from here on out? And meeting them in that very lonely, kind of dark, dark night of the soul. You know, it's, it's often called. Yes, and I love that too, because combining waking up spiritually with what I talk about a lot with sexually, and you talk about sexuality too. It's like, wow, that's a great combination. So mm -hmm. in terms of your thoughts on sexuality, you mentioned before we started recording how our society just shames us sexually to the point where most people don't know who they are as sexual beings. So go into that. So I think the, you know, with, with programming and the shame of our bodies and self-pleasure and, and our sexuality that that we go through our life somewhat sexually oppressed, sexually unexpressed. And I think that really dumbs us down, unfortunately, to be more susceptible to societal norms and parental norms and religious indoctrination. All these, all these things make us incredibly vulnerable to this programming. You know, it's not our in shame, it just continues throughout our life. And so I think through that sexual oppression, it's very easy to be to fall victim to the things of the material world which we all know is the root cause of suffering and we're not going to really find happiness with things outside of ourselves or worshiping things outside of ourselves and so our sexuality is like our essence of our embodied powerful essence that um, helps us manifest things out in the world 
um, kind of like sex magic. And it doesn't mean we have to be deviant and do all these crazy things, but just be, feeling safe on our bodies, feeling safe to sexually express. And because it's so uh, frowned upon by our systems and it's, it's like taken from us. And so then we have to figure out you know, oh, let's chase the white picket fence, or I guess I'm supposed to get married. I guess I'm supposed to have children. I'm supposed to follow this sort of protocol that's set forth by society. And so catching people that are waking up from that, um, you know, it's, 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 uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Symbiotic relationship, our spirituality and our sexuality are kind of one and the same. And I think you can't really have a spiritual awakening without some sort of sexual awakening. Um, they don't always happen in mutuality. Sometimes one will have the sexual awakening will then engage the spiritual awakening and vice versa. Yes. I love that. Yeah. Cause a lot of people, you know, I personally have noticed, and I know people like this that are very spiritually awake, but it's actually oppressed. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very interesting. And I, I don't, I think there is, something to be said about celibacy and perhaps withholding that part of your journey. And I have met people that I deeply respect that kind of put that on hold and almost to a point of deprivation in order to awaken other parts of themselves and then lean into that kind of sacred intimacy with yourself. Because I think if you can't really lean into touching yourself, feeling safe with your own body, it's probably not best to go into a relationship with someone else unless it's absolutely safe. Um, and so to be specific, what is the question again? I want to make sure I- In I terms like of society shaming us, religion, and then I talked a lot about how people that are spiritually awake, it's actually yeah. repressed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what really to speak on to that other than I'm, I would question the validity of their wokeness. If they're still sexually repressed, then perhaps their subconscious is still really running and holding and creating blocks. Um, because I, I view spiritual awakening as this sort of kundalini full chakra engagement. And so that's, we're talking about our, our sexuality, our, our sacral chakra, that to have that blocked, but then to have everything open to me wouldn't allow that absolute flow, divine flow. But again, I'm not, I'm not a, a complete expert in like spirituality and sexuality. But when you, when you're talking specifically, like how can somebody be spiritual, but also be sexually repressed? Um, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure <laughs> I don't have an answer for that. Yeah, no, I love your take on it because I think that, you know, the religious programming, and then you brought up too before we started recording, I was talking about that post with you about pur purity, uh, what is it, purity culture? Yes, that somehow the, how the religious systems create this modesty and purity culture, which then lends to sexual violence and pedophilia and all of these things because it somehow places this component that sex is bad and sex must remain in marriage and it doesn't create this sort of sex sexual education where it doesn't create this fluid conversation for us to understand our own sexuality and so we have to just take it right into marriage and then we have to find our way uh, with somebody who we haven't even been with sexually and in a system that then you know shame sex <laughs> and so mm -hmm. yeah that lends towards not just um in 
impure thoughts that perhaps lead to sexual violence, but also lying, deception, cheating, intimacy blocks in relationships. Because if people aren't feeling safe to sexually express in their relationship, they're probably going to take up some pretty odd behaviors and that lends to cheating and, and infidelity. And it's unfortunate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think that it doesn't make sense when you put it that way of the, oh, okay, just get married. Then when you get married, most married people aren't having great sex, so that doesn't make sense. And they have no information. They don't know anything about. So it'd be thing if doing if there was sex education and information being propagated along with this ideal that you take sex only in marriage, but literally you're taking two people that don't know anything about their bodies, anything about their sexuality, which I, I didn't, you know, going into marriage and ultimately not being a virgin, but being very sexually oppressed and not really knowing anything about my body worked nothing about like even my genitalia and what was what and what stimulated anything at 28 i had no idea you know and that was just the beginning of having computers and social media so i'm thankful that social media and i see it with my own children is really providing a significant amount of information that's accessible that before programming really kind of had this this finger on the pulse of propaganda for, for children, because if we didn't learn it in school and we didn't have computers, all we had were our parents and friends and like a bunch of playboys. That was pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's not good. I agree with you there. It is so beneficial. Some of the, that is one good thing about social media mm -hmm. is promoting the education piece. Yeah. And then, of course, what is your take on being sex positive? Um, so sex positive to me, or sex, being sexually lib liberated means that I have sovereignty over my body, that I do not let any other sort of structure or societal norm or relationship dictate um, how I'm going to use my body sexually for myself or other people. And I think some people define sex positivity as, well, I fuck anything and everything. And, um, and in some cases you can be, you know, an ethical slut, like you can be a relationship anarchist and you have relationships, some in which are sexual, some are not. But I really just think overall, it's the sovereignty of owning your sexuality and being attuned with it separate from any other system, uh, society, culture, religion that is telling you how you should engage your sexuality. And so that's kind of how I view sex positivity. And then, you know, within my own existence, it's um, having, uh, being comfortable with having sex outside of a deep, intimate relationship that while it can, it's safe and it's with people, you can meet people, people you care about, it can be casual, it's totally up to a, a personal, a personal choice. And so there's probably different phases of sex positivity. It really just depends on, on how, how people use it within their relating constructs. Mm, yeah. Yeah, but I like the way you define sex positivity, though, in terms of each individual determines what is sex positive and what is sexually okay for them. Exactly. Yeah. It's consensually safe. And, you know, again, we're not taught that. And, you know, just to kind of uh, in that same vein, most of my woundings or negative sexual experiences, um, not necessarily speaking rape, but being in a place of sexual harassment or being violated. Um, in these cases with me, I could own that I left myself very vulnerable. I did not speak my truth. I didn't know that I could. And I think because of that, the sexual shame 
and my programming just made me not feel safe in my body. And so when somebody violated it, I didn't feel safe to speak out. And, you know, again, that's also happening in this sort of sexual molestation pedophile community is children don't know anything about their bodies when they're violated. They're like, they have so much shame around even wanting to speak their truth. So. Mm, No, I'm glad you added that point because I look back on my first few sexual experiences and I was drunk in college. Mm-hmm. That yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, I was drunk, high, putting myself, like doing what my dad said, which was never drink, never be stoned and never be alone in a room with a boy or a closet. And I did all that. And in all those cases, like I have those memories of being in really uncomfortable situations that did cause me pain back then. You know, it's not haunting me today. Like I know a lot of women who have suffered like, like situations where it was like, you know, brutal and not beyond their control. Um, I definitely could have had those circumstances. I'm thankful that I haven't, but yeah, it's, it's not good to be, be put in those situations. And I didn't know any better. Yeah, definitely. And then let's go into, I love the way you made the point about how you're pro sex workers, you're pro us society having a healthy relationship with sexuality because of the fact that women really control whether sex happens or not. So that's why men are so lonely. Go into that. Yes. So I've, I've experienced this in my own relating history, being in an open relationship and dating, uh, both men, women. And, and so a lot of my, most of my gut, my information comes from that experience and also from reading a lot of information, uh, relevant books on, kind of this sort of power play dynamic of this system, shaming sexuality, shaming our body, setting up this kind of my way or the highway to relate within relationship and marriage, no sex education, which then is going to lend towards women kind of commoditizing sex where they want, well, I need to be married. I need to do that because they're being programmed to, mm-hmm. to believe this story in their head that this is what they need in order to give it up. And then the men are looked at like they're just a financial means. They're just something that's going to provide a paycheck and take care of the kids and allow them to do whatever. And so they're, they're looked at as a commodity. And then ultimately, sex becomes scarce for them. And so I believe all forms of sex work and pornography um, serve this exactly what the system has created, which is a deficiency, a scarcity of this sort of natural uh, sacred sexual dynamic that would happen between male and female, masculine, feminine, same sex, whatever it is, which is, you know, that's our indigenous tribal roots of uh, being, being primal, being sexual. When that's thwarted, we're going to need to somehow take that out somewhere. And if we can't, it's going to create a very dysfunctional system that's going to lend towards sexual violence against women and also just incompatibility of the sexes. The masculine wounding with the feminine wounding together, it's like men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Well, why is that? Because the system created us to be in such polarity that we actually wound each other, you know, versus fuck. <laughs> versus mm-hmm. that and then they get in relationship and they wonder why they're not having sex. Right. They get into it. And then it's still that power play just comes right in. The woman's like, well, he's didn't do this and he came late. So I'm going to go to bed and I'm not going to have sex. And and then a lot of times they are energetically shut down. So it's not even that they want to have sex. They're just not in a place of power. It's like a power play dynamic. Who's energetically shut down the woman? Um, The women can be sexually dead, energetically shut down. So while they might be 
withholding sex um, and using it as a sort of exchange. Like if you don't do this, well, I'm not putting out. And I know this from personal experience being in a, a, a dead marriage where there was that sex power play game in both directions. Um, so I think they, the women just kind of shut themselves off and they become, they're already disempowered going into it because they're not embodied in their sexuality anyway. So it's very easy for them to withhold because they're not really wanting it. And for the men, you know, it's an interesting biological disadvantage, um, especially with, you know, our sexual peaks and which is something I need to go into deep study about is just understanding the lack of intelligent design sometimes of the male and female, you know, our systems, but like men in general are more primal sexual in nature. And so you take the women's dead sexual deadness and the men's primal urges and, you know, you've got a recipe for a shit show relationship. Yeah, and then what about, because I think that women peak, what, we peak 30s, 40s, right? Yeah, for me, you know, just from people I talked to, for me, it was like probably 34 to 37, 39. And men, you know what, my partner's 47 and he's still like, I think for him, at least because he also had sexual deprivation, that his peak was later and is still going. Um, and it might just help because we did so much sexual healing together. But I do think for men, it's like 18 to 22 or something. And for the women, you know, don't quote me on this, maybe 34 to 37. And so we are at this sort of this, this disadvantage mm. there. Yeah, you're right. That is really weird. Cause I look back, I didn't lose my virginity until I think I was 20. And yeah. at the time I remember thinking that was a disappointment. Yeah. Why my whole disappointment too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't ever remember being like crazy on fire until like 37, but there was also the situation of divorce dynamics and like awakening my sexuality, finding love again at 39 after being in a horrible, you know, relationship for 13 years. So I think that really enhanced. I was like, oh my gosh, like I have activation in my body and I'm like, I want to have sex. And like, it was something that was so foreign to me to want to like get, get up on somebody. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. And then what about your um, past, you said that you experimented a little bit with being a swinger. Yeah. In this relationship, uh, we, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a long story and I'll try to make it short, but we were together for two years in monogamy, always serial monogamous. There was not this day I woke up where I was like, I want to fuck other people or I want to fuck in front of other people. It was like, we had gone through a double divorce, lots of, lots of therapy to kind of see the subculture was and we thought let's go to a naked resort and so it really just began on our honeymoon year two of meeting um, being madly in love and just being comfortable being naked around people being around other lifestyle people at a resort in, in Mexico and having sex around other people and that kind of was the beginning of the curiosity of just being around other people naked having sex and then you know we experienced you know we've done play parties um, we've hosted parties. Um, we have like our, you know, little community of people that were, you know, it's not like we're out randomly with, with different couples, but we experienced that. And we also within that realized we craved deep relationship. And so through that, we dabbled in polyamory, had separate relationships. We've kind of danced on the whole spectrum, but where we find ourselves the most comfortable is with people that are in a spiritual practice that are kind of open lovers, open relators. Like I don't relate and go, I want to fall in love. It's just, we set each other free to have our own experiences. And we've had some pretty radical healing relating with other people um, outside of ourselves. We've had things triggered in us that I don't think we would have done in our own relationship. And it's made us 
like deeply loving, uh, forgiving, accepting people. It's, it's completely changed the course of our life and has awakened us in ways that, you know, I didn't think was possible. Mm. Just to go back, we found within the swinging community, and this is not judgment because I have absolute respect for what any couple decides to consensually do in vulnerability. But for us, we found that just the sexual component going in, getting our fuck on or being with couples that are just there just for that. And then going back to their lives did not vibrate well with us. It, we wanted to at least be with people in a, in community with people that we like know and have, have sexual experience in a safe place with people that, um, want to do more than they want to like ex- go do fun things together and have a good time. And, and so that's kind of where we lean more. So now is less on like this use of, well, I just, it's just for sex. And so we tend to lean towards like deep intimate connection, which is like very, you know, very taboo in the lifestyle community. Um, you know, it's like what you do that. So we're on the taboo side and we're fucking proud. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, but I like how you combine the sexual with the spiritual because I feel like um, that would feel empty if you're just, that's all you're doing. Yeah, and I can't, if I'm not, my upper chakras, my like heart and my, like I'm not making some sort of spiritual deep connection, I don't feel safe, you know, which is harder for me to find in the lifestyle or even in the open poly community to find men that are going to see me and honor me and value me and look at me as the queen, the sovereign queen that I feel that I am and want to be for my partner. It's easier because women by nature want love. They want connection. They don't want to just be fucked, you mm-hmm. know, that's it. And so for him, it's, it's far easier for me to find like relevant connections that are nurturing and feeding where I feel safe and I can go on a growth. Like I can, connect with them deeply and have a reflective relationship, even if it's casual and sexual is, is much more difficult for me. And that's just across the board. I think for all, like, I'm sure there's a bunch of women that could listen to be like, Oh yeah, I agree. It's easier for the men. (laughs) It's harder for me to find, you know, embodied spiritual men that are, are open. No, I feel you on that since I'm in the dating market. But do you think part of that is because men are taught to be disconnected from their emotions and not have an open heart? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, again, I'll go back to the masculine wounding of the programming of the patriarchy and how men are stripped away of their essence of being, their feminine side of being feminine, emotional, self-expressive, crying, you know, it's pull up your bootstraps, go to work, feed the family. And that was that sort of patriarchal way of being is that a man was to be the leader and to be strong and crying meant you're a pussy and all of these, you know, these things. But I do think men are awakening. And I think us women are are awakening a little bit faster, but I do believe that's because we are called in to help the masculine rise and hold the space for them to be more emotional, more expressive and make them feel safe to share these more feminine attributes. And ultimately by doing so, they're cultivating their intuition by being more self-connected, by feeling more safe to express. They're more in unity with themselves, more in flow, and they're better lovers and they're either more vulnerable. And so I think us women need to like that, that connector. Um, and I like being open in that sense of, as I meet and relate outside of my relationship, I get to, I get to share that and be like, you get to be, be whoever you want. And I'm not trying to make you into my partner 
or take care of my kids or feed me or financially support me. I'm just going to show up and I'm just going to be a loving guide on your path, you know, and then we can transition to friends or whatever. So I think women in relationship really need to know that it's not men suck and oh my gosh, we're all the good men. It's women rise the fuck up and hold the, hold the space for men with your friends and relate with men and don't be scared of them and call them out and say, it's okay. It's okay. We're, this is, I think what, what's happening on a global frequency level on the planet is that women are kind of rising up first and now it's time for them to step in and, and make it safe for the men. That's my field. I agree with you about that. I hold space for a lot of my guy friends. And I think that, you know, my, the last guy I was with, I feel like when guys are open, you're right. The sexual experiences are better. Yeah. I'm not going to say that there are some sexual experiences I've had with very closed off men that are heart blocked, but mm -hmm. there's still a mechanical degree. I still, because I'm so intuitive and I can feel, I can tell it's all sacral energy and that they're not really fully embodied and connected. And uh, yeah, but by and large, most men, they're going to rock in bed and they're probably going to be a pleaser and also, you know, also be a receiver too when they're really feeling just so freaking safe. And especially with their sexuality. I mean, talk about self-expression and freedom to cry and be emotional and expressive. But, you know, I have my feels around just because of how many men I know personally and how many I've coached that are in the closet with their bisexual and bi-curious desires because of the societal shame and even shame within the relationship. They don't know if their partner can hold it. And I'm just like, do it anyway. Like, you know, cause if you don't, if you're hiding parts of yourself in relationship and I talk about this all the time, it creates blocks within you and then intimacy blocks within your partner. And it will, it's a, you know, time stamps your relationship. It will hurt eventually over time. If you hide these really dynamic parts that want to express and move through you, it's eventually going to sabotage your life and keep you from awakening and evolving into your fullest expression. Mm -hmm. I agree that I talked to someone earlier about that in terms of it will cause low libido or you can yeah. turned on or yeah. Yeah. And even physical ailments. I mean, anytime we shut down parts of, of us that want to move through, even if it's sharing a story of like a horrible some men have, they have woundings from the church or they were abused uh, by a mother or father figure or they suffered a great loss of a parent and that created that blocks within between their heart and their, their, their solar plexus, um, you know, sacral. And it just, it makes them not able to show up fully and they bring that energetic pain even while they're having sex. So it's like they're passing that sort of energy out, you know, into the world and they, you know, it's all unconscious. Mm -hmm. And then of course we got to talk about this to the shaming of drugs. <laughs> yeah. My favorite subject. Um, what would you, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> Why did I do that? So I believe there has been, and this is as old as time and it's ancient. We've mm -hmm. obviously, we've come from the plants, the plant, everything's, everything is conscious, conch, has a consciousness that is alive, struggling tongue-tied. And then I do believe that there's been a war for our consciousness. Um, and there's been a lot of upticks. If you think about the timeline of going back to ancient, ancient alien civilization, all the way up until like peace, love, and you know, the Beatles and the Grateful Dead in the, in the 60s and 70s, free love. 
anytime there's been this sort of insurgence of a drug that makes it out there, it's very interesting what the government and systems do in order to propagate that drugs are bad. And oftentimes, a drug will become a, a legal, a Schedule One, Schedule Two drug, and pulled off, you know, a felony, and then just coincidentally, some other really horrible street drug will make its way out into these marginalized communities. And, you know, I know a lot about drug history, but, you know, the insurgence of marijuana and, you know, the reefer madness movement, and this is something that my partner enlightened me to because he studies so much about this and he works in pharma and biotech. So he's like, pharmacologist loves everything about drug history, but he pointed out that that marijuana and other sort of psychedelics were creating unification in these segregated communities between marginal, especially within a music community and jazz community. And so there was this sort of unification happening um, all across the board of so many different cultures. And so all of a sudden what comes in, you know, reefer madness, everything is bad. And so I think that the war on drugs is really a war on smashing our template and smashing the norms. I mean, all drugs and plant medicines have taught me is that there is a reality that exists beyond consensus reality of what, I, what we've been programmed to believe. And it breaks down all societal structures. And why would the system want something like that to infiltrate? In fact, I'm quite surprised at the movement of the psychedelic and plant medicine communities. I'm really excited, but I'm also really weary because I do wonder how this system's gonna come in and commoditize and pull and make money off of psychedelics and somehow controlled in some environment patent certain ways. Like I heard there was a story of it being patent, patented. I could go on and on, on and on and on. Mm. But you know, the government was trying to patent the use of you know, a couch in a psychedelic therapy, a, a comfy couch. Like I just start to wonder you know, what's going to happen as the, we get freedoms. It always seems like the, we get free and then the, the systems come in and take away. Um, but ultimately, I believe to answer your the long, the long and short is that it's it's shamed because it opens us up to see beyond the veil of reality and and the control and and the way that that we're manipulated, segregated, ultimately separated. Yeah, and then tell me what when you see visions because when I did mushrooms the first time, that was a great experience for me, but I did not see anything. So what do you see? <laughs> You know, it depends. I've done mushrooms by themselves, micro, macro, ceremonial, sometimes with an ayahuasca or a DMT component. Um, mushrooms to me isn't like a spirit molecule. So I don't really feel like I get, I feel connected to myself, but I don't feel like I get sort of the multidimensional feels that other medicines give me or a higher dose of psilocybin with another component. Um, the visuals are usually very psychedelic LSD-like, you know, like in looking at a painting or something or listening to music, you will, it enhances um, all of your um, extrasensory perceptions. And so I think what I typically see is like moving, blending colors, uh, almost like, like a psychedelic ex experience. And depending on how much you take will depend on how much you see and feel. And also psychedelics in particular, psilocybin is like a subconscious unlocker. So it creates this flow of energy moving through our body. 
and often we can do shadow work and we can we can connect to those darker aspects of ourselves that perhaps we wouldn't otherwise feel safe to share and so it's a great tool to use when we're doing any sort of therapeutic modality we need to move energy and release trauma mm, yes i love that yeah i mean when i do that cried for the whole planet and the world and yeah it's like yeah. a yeah you feel connect i think it's the connectedness and i think next to the visuals the extrasensory perception visuals or the feel the feelings that you feel about yourself is the unification of knowing like we're all connected and the compassion and unity consciousness. And again, another reason why that would be shamed is, you know, any thoughts about us all being together and unified is going to end the division, is gonna end white supremacy and racism. And honestly, I think plant medicine is the healing of the world, not just the nation, because it's not about America. It's about this entire, it's, it's global, global unity consciousness. Mm, yes. Uh, my friend uh, got me on his live video last night. And it was funny. I always like mushrooms and people doing more mushrooms and having more sex. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had some, you know, later on in life, some pretty amazing sexual, even if it's just on a microdose, it's like, it, it's an unlocking, you know, so I feel like if you have blocks, energetic blocks, and even if you say can have sex, but you just like are blocked from loving or feeling safe to be loved but you like like having sex it can also add this deep feeling of empathy and compassion and heart opening um yeah i can't speak highly enough and obviously you know from my instagram that i talk very vocally about plant medicine uses and definitely opens up some interesting dms for me <laughs> mm, sure what people just curious oh curations wanting to drug i'm like i'm a guide i can help you once you figure that part out and then i'm in on you know which is another thing i do which is like the psychedelic integration of helping people before they go into ceremony or before they're going to do their own their own solo ceremony mm -hmm. and helping them after with what comes up which is really important because some for some people the trip doesn't end you know, after the medicine wears off, sometimes there's dreams and visions. And I do think it aligns you again. This is my woo. It, I think it aligns you again um, in this sort of divine flow of the universe. And it's, you know, your guides and your angels. And so sometimes you're unlocking things and things will come in and you'll get downloads after have these dreams or visions. And you're like, what the hell was that? Was that a projection? I had such a horrible dream. And I help people kind of sift through and guide them into what the, what that meeting was and what it means to them and what they might need to do. And so. No, I love that. Yeah. Cause I interviewed someone on my podcast about trauma mm -hmm. and you bring up a great point. How if someone has all this stuff they've never dealt with, they do a plant medicine. It's not integrated properly. That's not good. No, it's not. And it actually can induce trauma. And I do a lot of people will do sessions with me when they have major fears or limiting beliefs about like, they know what the potentiality is if they do a certain medicine and they're really nervous about it. and i just like i'll hold your hand through it because yeah there are traumas that will come up and sometimes we'll have stuff that's past life like we'll get a, there's times where i've had visions where i'm like there's no way that i have experienced that like that was such an awful dream and so violent but sometimes we have to move through those things and and let it go and i always tell people what's coming up sometimes just wants to leave and if we hold it like and get scared versus just like letting it go. Um, but yeah, the integration is like a critical component and it's great to see now 
in the drug communities, especially the medicine communities online, really stressing the importance of pre and post integration. And even if we're just tripping for fun at home or at a festival, you're not absolved of having a less than stellar experience. And it's just all about what, what is supposed to happen at that time. You can't really control it. You want to be with good people though. And yeah, the festival, nine times out of 10, you're probably going to have a good experience. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. No, but I love how you said that about the integration. That is so key. Okay, so where, what takeaways would you want people to have from our conversation? I know we covered a lot. <laughs> um, I think the takeaways would be um, to, if, you know, some of the things that we talked about and shared together resonate with you. Um, hopefully it makes you feel not so alone and that the understanding that the very first step in like our journey to ourself is just knowing that there's something more than what we've been taught, what we've been told to believe, you know, by the, you know, our parents, education, religion, whatever. And that questioning our reality is very normal and having like, an existential crisis is very normal and that it's important to engage tools. And there's so many resources out there in self-healing communities and places that can affordably hold space for you. And there's also a lot of people that can guide that know how, like being an intuitive guide, I can separate my ego and show up and really hold space for somebody's experience and also bring my journey and my heart forward, which unfortunately a lot of psychologists and I mean, depending on if they're intuitive, you know, they have a lot of boundaries with how they're going to show up. And so I think we heal in relationships and we heal in these safe, vulnerable containers. And so it's really important to get that communal support. Um, I would not be where I am today without having a guide helping me through these parts of my awakenings and questioning my truths. And um, we can't really do it alone. We're not meant to. We're communal connected people. And so I guess the takeaway would be if anything resonates with you and you're questioning your existence and how you've been programmed and you're dealing with shame and there's parts of you not expressed to know that you're not alone and and to get help and to get guidance. Yes, I love that. Yeah, that is so key. Okay, so where can everybody find you? Um, I am on Instagram as the.loving.guide. Um, I have a website too that I don't really use lovingguide.com. And then my Facebook is loving guide life support. Um, and they can Google my name, Jessica Ferrone. And yeah, if you just search, search loving guide, you'll find my link tree online. And I do a lot of, um, videos and offerings, obviously all free on Instagram. I'm really passionate and dedicated to moving whatever one three um in the most compassionate loving way and feisty ass shadowy way possible and then i do you know sessions from there for people that want like really specific guidance with things that are happening in their life and existence but that my offerings do feed people and so i welcome anyone to join me there and say hello sounds great i'll place your links below thank you so much thank you so much for having me and for being patient with me. This is going to be my like a first. I've done one, but it's in the ether somewhere. I don't know where it is, but this has been a pleasure. And I, I really appreciate you having me on. Of course. Listen, I've been wanting to have you. Y'all be sure to subscribe to her um, Instagram. It's fabulous. I love like, everything that you're doing because both of our work um, 
you know, really goes together. Yeah, yeah we are hand in hand. I see yeah. you there. Yeah, <laughs> and it's so important. Yeah. yeah. I love how, I love your takeaway about loneliness because that was something I really dealt with when I first became on the, when I first got on the spiritual path. Yeah. Like I got fired from my corporate job and then I started another corporate job and I hated it. And so Catalyst. I Catalyst. Yeah. 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 Basically. Yeah. So I just, I was like, oh, I have no idea what is going on here. <laughs> it's lonely as fuck. I was very lonely. People always ask me about that. Not there. I'm, you know, they see me now. I'm like, this was not me four years ago, five years ago. I was by myself and I got a guide. And then I, then I started to meet my tribe. I started to meet people, meet like-minded. I broadcasted out and met people. I still am baffled by that, but mm. yeah. Yeah. I'm actually going to a breathwork class tonight and I met the girl through another friend. So That's you're right about that. If you that. set the intention to attract community, you will. Absolutely. And sometimes we're limited just by our own speech and our ego and we need to get out the way. So instead of saying, I don't have anyone right now, I'm so lonely, is to flip that and reframe that and to say, I need community. Send me community. I'm ready for it. I want, I want to help. I want help and I want to be helped. And sometimes we're just, we're not, we don't feel safe to ask for help and we need to. Or even worthiness, like it will yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're not. We're not. Somehow, we're not worthy. And that's a song. That's a, a yeah. A song as old as time. <laughs> you know, it's like that's a song our parents sang to us. Well, at least mine did um, about our worth. And it's time to step in and and own our shit. And that we are worthy. We're worthy of love. And even if it wasn't taught to us, we can step into it and call it in for ourselves. Yes. Yes. Cool. I thank you so much. Y'all be sure to subscribe, share, like the podcast, and I will catch you next week. Bye. Bye.